we've created this this marketing thing of the American dream. Yeah. Which has uh, the the white picket fence and the big house and the suburb, all those things, and that's at some levels being questioned because we've allowed the American dream to be co-opted by Madison Avenue to be about uh, materialism. You're listening to Experience This, a show about the emerging experience economy with your host, Tom Young. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. This is Tom Young. I'm sitting here with Karen Boschwa in the studio. Hey, how's it going? All right. Hey, Karen, today we're going to continue our conversation. We had a conversation a while back on several podcasts ago around minimalism and enjoying your your life with less stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you and I got a chance over this past weekend to watch this Netflix video called Minimalism. Yep. And a very good video. Did you like it? Really good. It's actually my second time watching it. So. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I, I watched it very slowly and hit the pause and, and, and thought about certain things, took a lot of notes. <clears throat> but uh, what was interesting to me, it might be a little bit before your time, at the end of the movie, uh, there's a, they give a speech by Jimmy Carter, who was a president in the late 70s. And to me, this is the, around the time of the inflection point of what I'll call the hyper-consumerism. Mm. And we've talked about redesigning retail and how malls really came into to play in the 1970s and 80s, are really the heyday of consumerism and retailing. Anyway, Jimmy Carter gives a speech that at the time he was under a tremendous amount of political pressure because mm-hmm. of the economy was in terrible shape. We had very high interest rates, uh, no uh, high unemployment. Um, and it was a time of malaise was a term that was used. And he was under a lot of pressure. And rather than give the rah-rah speech or, and optimistic, he came out and really just gave a, uh, told the truth about what's happening. And he issued sort of a little bit of a warning. So not the best thing to do if you're a po- politician. Yeah. Uh, but in hindsight, you look back at this in the context of this video. So let's play this as first clip. And we'll get a sense of this warning that Jimmy Carter laid out, which in hindsight seems very prescient. So let's play, the, I'm gonna play this video now. Okay. Good evening. It's clear that the true problems of our nation are much deeper, deeper than gasoline lines or energy shortages, deeper even than inflation or recession. In a nation that was proud of hard work, strong families, close-knit communities, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. But we've discovered that owning things and consuming things does not satisfy our longing for meaning. We've learned that piling up material goods cannot fill the emptiness of lives which have no confidence or purpose. This is not a message of happiness or reassurance, but it is the truth and it is a warning. So, Very interesting clip, right? Very powerful. If I told you that uh, Alan Watts came back from the dead and wrote 
Jimmy Carter speech. Now we have Alan Watts here in our studio. Yeah. If you guys can get a long shot now, you can see our picture of Alan. Uh, you and I both listen to Alan Watts as well. But if I said that he wrote that speech, it would be like right on par with the kind of things that Alan Watts said a lot in the late 60s as well. Definitely. One of the things that was really interesting about that speech um, in the 70s was the fact of when he talks about self-indulgence. And you think about even um, social media today. And he was saying that way before social media has even come out. So the self-indulgence from consumer products, but even from content and being on social media today. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's it's insane. I think the level of narcissism that exists today within social media, uh, if you were to transplant sort of today back 30 years ago or even 50 years ago, some time frame, people would be shocked at, at how it is today. Yeah, it's almost a bit sad in some ways watching that and just thinking about as a society where we are today. And at some point, we just have taken our inward happiness and projected onto outside things in hopes of that filling voids for us. So this minimalism documentary was done by a couple of guys who were, uh, I guess they're, we'd be Gen Xers, be my guess. Yeah, they're probably their, mid to late 20s. Yes, they're Gen Xers, mm -hmm. right? No, I think they're in their 30s now. Now, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they come to the conclusion that the, the, the chasing of more stuff that, that defines your happiness was just not for them. And I think a lot of people uh, either have come to that conclusion or, or sense that. Mm -hmm. And this documentary is literally about their journey, about um, you know, just redefining what makes them happy and, and questioning sort of the, the culture that says, go buy some more stuff. It's on sale. What's better than three? Four. Yeah. <laughs> so, Only $7.99. <laughs> right. And uh, you know, buy one, get one free. And nothing, at some level, nothing really is free in that sense. So uh, I, I like this. I, I found it to be a, a very well good, a very, very well written documentary. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was pretty interesting. I'm interested in the subject. So if you're not interested in the subject, you might not like this. But I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was very well done. I, I mean, I think it was nice just uh, seeing the simplicity and the way that they you know, kind of showed the, the different extremes and real life examples of, of people that have made the switch. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was very well done. So let's grab a next clip from the intro uh, with a guy from the, he was an ABC News correspondent. Mm -hmm. And Dan he talks, Harris. yeah, and he talks a little bit about uh, the hunt for, and let's, let's just play that clip and then we'll talk a little bit about that. We spend so much time on the hunt but nothing ever quite does it for us. And we get so wrapped up in the hunt that it kind of makes us miserable. So that's an interesting clip again. He talks about the notion of the hunt. And if you think about how humans are wired, moving from hunter-gatherer society to an agrarian society to industrial, now we're in post-industrial, at some level, the exploitation of business interests in these successive waves of the economy, whether it be industrial or post-industrial, is exploiting how we're wired as people. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate if you think of humans just trapped in this vicious cycle that they don't even know they're trapped in. Yeah, so if so, the metaphor would be I could go hunting in a hunter-gatherer or I could go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the similar thing? 
Well, I mean, hunting for bargains, right? <laughs> People even use the same language. Yeah, they do. Yeah, look what I bagged. Or like just, you know, you've seen some of those for this, those bins that are on sale and people are just digging through the bins of thousands of products. So the, at some level, this is wired into our DNA at, a, at some level. There's this desire to go out and hunt and see if you can find something. And the, the, the stores and, the, and now with online, you know, it's a, you can hunt in the universe. So there's no real limitations. You know, we talked before about malls being uh, hunting grounds. And now that the malls become infinite and virtual. Do you think it's just, again, another form of instant gratification? So once you find that product that you've been hunting for, you, you know, you feel momentarily satisfied until the next hunt begins. I thought a lot about this when we were watching the documentary. That, you know, you know the notion of, of accumulating things is not a bad thing. From that's the way we're wired as in DNA in a world of scarcity, right? But in a world of abundance, that pathology can wreak havoc on the unintended consequences of accumulating too much stuff. So, if I walk into someone's shoe closet and look, so FYI, I'm guilty of all this stuff, so. <laughs> I, I, don't many, I, don't, I don't know how many shoes I have, but <laughs> I don't throw them away. I have shoes from like 15 years ago. I'm never, ever, by the way, going to wear, but I haven't thrown them away yet, which I plan to do hopefully soon. But people can have 30, 50, 100 pairs of shoes. Yeah. Well, it's just in case. Yeah. Well, we talked when Sean was on one of our shows before about just in case packing. Yeah. Why don't you pack for the perfect case and just and then deal with it? There was an interesting clip on uh, that we saw, where uh, in fact, if the guys can find the clip, we'll play this clip. With a woman, uh, oh yeah, needed a dress for a wedding, and she didn't have one. So the normal thing would be to go buy one, and she had to. Well, let's just play the clip, and and she can uh, explain that. There's something about not being prepared for every moment that actually helps you engage with your community. Being pregnant, for instance, at such a limited time, I had a dress up event to go to and I said to David, let me go see if I can find a dress. And I was thinking, gosh, this is really outdated. I have two months left. The event is next week. What am I gonna do? So I called a couple of my girlfriends. Hey, do you have any dresses I can you know, go through. But in the past, you know, I definitely would have bought what I needed when I needed it because that's what you do. You prepare yourself, you know, for your situation. The beauty of it is it's become very communal. Our friends ask us for stuff. We be, you know, we've become closer to people because of it. She's saying that, you know, you could go out and buy something. You can go to Amazon, click, click, click. You have it in two days or one day, whatever. Uh, maybe even same day if you live in New York. Or you could go ask your friends the way things used to be done. And as a result, you have a more, you turn a need into a social interaction, which is the way we've sort of grown up as a society. And the isolation that comes from online shopping or going to the mall and buying stuff and, and trying to just build your own empire of goods yeah. creates an isolation. Yeah, I, I think some of the cool things that I've been seeing are there's these swap and meets. Yeah. So when people do these springtime closet cleans, they'll put all their stuff in a trash bag and bring it to a 
communal location where you basically can just walk around the table and view what other people view as junk and you might find some stuff in there for free that you actually like. But now it takes the concept of, you know, turning access into and using it for a means of engaging with other people. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. So the, the I, the, I, I wrote a lot of notes down and I wanted to just throw a couple <laughs> comments out at you to see if you want to comment on some of these things. Um, one of the issue is this notion that um, we've created this this marketing thing of the American dream, yeah, which has uh, the the white picket fence and the big house and the suburb, all those things, and that's at some levels being questioned because we've allowed the American dream to be co opted by Madison Avenue to be about uh, materialism, and I go back to the Jimmy Carter thing. It was. Uh, I would say the American dream is more of a community-based kind of thing than and a social. There was a social dynamic. At least those, those are the ingredients. And those ingredients seem to have been lost over the last 30 or 40 years. I think, um, I don't know if this is accurate, but I think Madison Avenue back in the 60s when all those big advertising firms were there kind of played a role in setting up this persona of, I don't know, you've seen Mad Men, right? Yeah, so yeah. this persona of, expensive suits and fine dining and you know fifth avenue is just lined with amazing shops and it people really bought into what they need to do in order to i guess become successful or be perceived as being successful and unfortunately that's just stuck around yeah it's so let me read some of these other quotes here and just see what you like some of these things um we talked about experience i would say Firms can easily sell a thing, mm-hmm. but it's hard to sell an experience. I agree. So, uh, and there's less money in it per se. But if you get it right, yeah, uh, the experience can be very lucrative for the businesses, but it's very hard to go do. It's much easier to go sell stuff. So, another comment was uh, interesting when they profiled some of the people in here who have downsized their living quarters. Yeah. Now, you have looked into some of the tiny apartment movements and. Mm-hmm. And reducing your living space, it's become an economic necessity for some people right. in New York City because of how expensive it is. But it also, you get to the notion of why do people have such huge living quarters? And there was a line in there that says, uh, living life uh, based on the space that you have versus designing the space for the life that you want. Yeah, very true. So if you have a... 5,000 square foot house, you're going to fill it with stuff. Yeah, because it feels empty otherwise. Yeah. And, and and empty almost connoting failure. Yeah. I failed to fill this room up with stuff. And loneliness. So if I fill yeah. it up with stuff, maybe it fills some of that loneliness that appears to be there. Yeah. So I'll go back to this point of exploiting this wired biology that we have to accumulate things. In a world of scarcity, it's probably a good thing to be able to build things up. But in a world of abundance, which is where our society exists today, we live in a world of abundance. Mm-hmm. Abundant food options, abundant entertainment options. Um, and there was a line uh, by one of the guys in the documentary. He said, uh, "We've we've taken this thing around, you can do anything you want. But if you can do anything you want in a land of abundance, then you can also do everything that you want. 
And without the the balance and the throttles, you end up sacrificing the things that are really important by doing too much stuff. Yeah. And not valuing it. So let's play that clip if we can from that guy saying that whole thing, let's set that up. Yep. Because you can do anything you want, you can potentially do everything you want. But to do everything you want, you have to sacrifice the things that really are important. When it comes to the overwhelm, the easiest way to solve that is to turn it off. Really, just turn it off. When I listen to that clip, uh, I'm reminded, we, we thought about, again, I kept going back to the scarcity and abundance difference, whereas the behaviors and that came out of a world of scarcity transplanted into a world of abundance create a pathology or a manifestation of bad yeah. outcomes that we that are unintended. And we looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the, if people are familiar with this, you can go look it up on Wikipedia and we'll put it in the show notes. But Maslow's hierarchy has five levels and it's a base pyramid and it goes to the top. And you got it. You can't go to the top without building on the bottom. So the first one is physiological. I need to have oxygen, food, water. The second level is safety. I need to have shelter and feel safe in my environment. The third one is a social layer, which is I need to have a sense of belonging, uh, love, and and uh, socialization. The fourth layer is self-esteem. I need to feel good about myself. And then the, the, the top of the pyramid is purpose. Mm-hmm. And self-actualization, I mean, you know. So when people say have a purpose-driven life, I think what happens is in a world of abundance, we have all the physiological and safety issues met easily. Yeah. But then we take all of our discretionary time and rather move up Maslow's hierarchy to drive greater happiness. We continue to pile up uh, resources in the physiological and say a bigger house, more food, more things. And those, they don't bring happiness. You just build a bigger base of which you didn't put a a pyramid capstone on. There's no purpose. I I don't think we've completely shed feeling comfortable, I guess, with those bottom two layers. Because there must be a fear factor that's still in place for humans to still be operating at the bottom of the pyramid. Well, there's a lot of business interest to make people do that. But, I mean, in, in our society, there's certainly in the West. Oh, yeah. And let's, say in, let's just say in the New York metro area, it's a very wealthy area. People aren't starving. Not at all. So uh, Poor people are fat. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, then, it's the messaging. Right. Right? You're right. The businesses have started to create this messaging of we still need to be here, which is the bottom two layers. Yeah. And, and, and by by even any standard, if you took a poor person today living, let's say, at the poverty line, right, and you compared what they have access to on a regular basis compared to what the gentry class or the rich would have 200 years ago, the poor person is much better off today on those base two layers. Yeah. They have better food. They have better shelter. They have access to more things to, to entertain them, uh, many more options, even the ability to travel. That was a relatively new phenomenon. You, it was very unsafe to travel 200, 300 years ago, you know, in terms of transporting your wealth. So we take a lot of things for granted, and then we just plow back into building a bigger base rather than moving up the pyramid. And I think this minimalism documentary 
uh, has people step back and say, really evaluate whether you should build up or build out your pyramid bigger. Yeah. So another thing we saw, I followed this guy on Twitter. He's a, a, a billionaire he made Minecraft, I think. Yeah, I forget. you were saying. And he was talking about wealth. And he talked about how, you know, somebody say a billionaire dies broke. Society would say, oh, that's a failure. <laughs> and then he said, well, if the billionaire died a billionaire, then it it goes to show that they didn't need the money in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it also... <laughs> that was pretty interesting. It's super interesting. I think it also opens up this other discussion, which we can probably do in a separate podcast around society's relationship with money. If it's just for transactional purposes, why? what is the billionaire... I mean, at the end of the day, right? He's going to go back to becoming some dirt or ash or cremated in the ground and the billions become irrelevant. But anyways, separate topic, but very interesting comment. We should do one on that. Alan Watts did a great talk on money and, and, and talks about about that, what, yeah. it, really defining what money is. And the best thing he said about it was money is a uh, a claim on future economic output. You can't eat it. You can't drink it. You can't taste it. And so I have this so I can claim future economic output. I, I put, I have $10, I hold it in my pocket, and then two weeks from now I can go buy a meal, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I have a claim on the future. And if the claims that are in everyone's pockets, proverbially, the total supply of money mismatches the economic output, you end up with these distortions like hyperinflation and things like that. And, but the issue then becomes how much, how many claims do I need? In order to 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 enjoy invoking those claims versus building up more claims, so we talked before about the person who has the proverbial million dollars. What do they do with the second million? Yeah, because they're not going to spend the first million. <laughs> no, they're not. So the second million goes into the bank, and the cost of acquisition uh, is high. And it's like, why would you do that if you if, if you can't even spend the first bit of money? And you have to define what your million dollars is. It's just a metaphor, right? But this guy in the in the documentary, uh, one of the two guys, he came to that conclusion when he visited his dying mother and realized, hey, he's he didn't even return her call. She was calling. She was ready to on her deathbed, and he was busy. He didn't return her call till the end of the day because <laughs> he was in meetings doing what? Who know, he doesn't even remember. But he was chasing the buck. Like a lot of us do, and again, I'm I'm as guilty of it as anybody. Yeah, we all are. But then he came to the conclusion: I was like, do I really want to go do this? And am I better off doing different things? So the, the documentary highlights a lot of characters in here. People do different things, and mm -hmm. and we as we prepared for this discussion and looked at that, there's also quite a few YouTube channels and other yeah. documentaries that are similar to this, where people have have taken this to the extreme. Now, I like watching those things. Not that I would ever take it to the extreme myself, but it, it gives you a sense of testing your boundaries and your own presuppositions about how you should live and act. I think people should also take privately honest inventory of how happy they actually are. And, and I think that's a very personal thing. But a lot of that 
I don't know. I feel like once you come to a realization of I'm actually not that happy, a lot of it's probably stemming from this this ongoing chase of whatever it is. So I do think that finally we're probably at a place where I think people are starting to look inward and think about some of these things. Yeah. Um, maybe not as rapid as it would be. You know, it would be really good. But but. My so point in that, that is that self inventory. So to put, use Maslow's hierarchy. Uh, you know, uh, engineering background with thinking of frameworks, right? So yeah. But if you use Maslow's hierarchy and you just look at it and you say, if the void that I have in my life, mo- I would say more than likely is at the top of the pyramid versus the width of the pyramid. Th- and if I'm spending all my time on expanding the width and the base and not on the top, <laughs> I'm f- I'm trying to fill a void that exists uh, with the wrong materials. And the wrong way, I, the, the wrong value system. So there's this uh, challenge that I read about when we were reading for this uh, in discussion called the minimalist challenge. Are you, are you familiar with this? Yeah, I've seen it on you get, YouTube. It's yeah. a 30 day challenge, mm-hmm. and on the first day you get rid of one thing. Yeah. And then the next day you get rid of two things, and on the 30th day you get rid of 30 things, and whatever the sum of your digit is, I think it's like uh, 350 items about you end up getting rid of quite a bit of stuff and not everybody makes it all 30 days but it's an interesting uh, practice to go through to see are you better off at the end of the 30 days getting rid of all those things and going through the catharsis of parting with things you thought were important and i think people should try it we should try it we should get our team to, to to discuss this i think most of our team's interested in this topic but we should talk about that as a group. Maybe we do it as a group challenge. Worst case, it's an opportunity to go buy more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But the best case is you may find that your life is better off without all of this stuff. And it's simplified. So, um, Even removing apps, like deleting an app off your phone. It's still yeah. stuff. I, I put an I put an app on my phone uh, <laughs> to delete apps. No, it oh. it went into some weird folder. I can't find it because I have no room left on my screens. <laughs> so I have to create these subfolders and all kinds. Of, I just, so I just started deleting stuff. Like I haven't looked at this and <laughs> and I'm never going to. And uh, yeah, is this clutter in your life? You know, whether it be magazine subscriptions, apps, shoes, clothes. <laughs> Why do you have clothes from you know you're never going to wear again? So many possibilities, like cleaning out the food that's been sitting in people's refrigerators. I have, if you go out in the garage, I have these boxes of clothes. <laughs> and uh, not only am I not going to wear them, I don't think I fit in them anymore. <laughs> that's how old they are. But uh, anyway, so let's try the challenge. For yeah. me, it's not going to be a difficult challenge because I have to do it anyway. But it's more of the, the act and the mindset you have about allowing things to be introduced into your life and... Uh, I would encourage people to watch this documentary. It's pretty good. Uh, I think we should definitely do the challenge. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be great. Watch to see this the documentary. We'll have the, the links to, on the show notes. It's in many, it's on Netflix, it's on YouTube, yeah. it's a bunch of places you can go watch it. And I think it's something you'll enjoy. Yeah. It's so, really good. Great. Highly All right. recommended. All right. Thanks. Thanks. See you there. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Karen, I think you were supposed to say that. Yeah. Thanks. I'll take it from here. All right. Well, we got to do the this is the new outcast. Oh, the out- outro. The outro. I think outcast is a new word. All okay. right, outro. We're doing a new outro. We got to cover a few things. All right. One is what? Subscription. 
Do you subscribe to? We want people to subscribe to this, not just listen to it occasionally. Okay, yeah. Check the us out. The second thing is nothing's better than what a, a five star rating. Always five stars. Got to give us the five stars because we get better search outcomes. Mm -hmm. And the last thing is comments. We need those. Yeah, we, we need your feedback. We want to know what people are thinking. So you can check us out. The best way to do it, if you're not sure, some people don't know how to do it. Go to our website. You can check it out. We'll have a full set of instructions. Uh, so whatever app you're using. Most people use, what do you use? Uh, I use Spotify. You do? Yeah. So we have Spotify. We have iTunes, uh, YouTube. There's a whole bunch. Of, whatever you use, we have it. And if, and if we don't have it, let us know, and we'll try to figure out how to get it. We can send you a paper-based instruction. <laughs> actually, actually, we do have paper-based instructions, even though... That's a fun inside joke to our team. So anyway, yep. thanks for listening and check us out uh, in our next shows. Thanks. See ya.